0: Give it a try at mintmobile.com slash switch. $45 up front for three months plus taxes and fees. Promote for new customers for limited time. Unlimited more than 40 gigabytes per month slows. Full terms at mintmobile.com.
1: Hello. It's nearly May on Telling Everybody Everything. The weather in the UK has turned to shite after several weeks of sun. My Canadian family are telling me that the weather has been bad there all along during this lockdown, so I just hope that as soon as we are released into the wild, it brightens up everywhere for everybody. I am drinking lemon water. My sister Joanne said that I needed to eat a green apple so that my voice would sound better, and then I made fun of her, of course. A lovely girl DM'd me on Instagram, and she said, no, you can just have lemon water. It's the same effect. Oh, this girl knows Joanne, too. Joanne, if you're listening, there are people in your home village. They see you in the shops, and they recognize you, and they look at you, and they don't talk to you because, I don't know, I think I've painted some type of standoffish picture about you, but this girl said you're very beautiful, and she likes your hair. Anyway, she said that I could drink lemon water. Mmm. I added vodka to it, and it's sparkling water with lemon juice and Grey Goose. I hope that's okay. 1.45 uh, uh, uh. ah, p.m. You know, I made it pretty late in the day before a cocktail. Well done, me. I've had a pretty good week. One of the main themes of my life right now is I feel that my daughter is slipping away from me. She's 10 years old. She's only interested in TikTok. I try to stay researched on any area that my daughter's interested in so that I can bond with her. So I did a deep dive on TikTok. I looked at the most famous TikTokers. Some of these kids have 50 million followers. And I tried to isolate what made the successful ones successful. And this is the formula. If you're looking to get famous on TikTok, here it is. You're going to be wearing short shorts, have your little midriff out, and be looking to I don't know what these young girls are doing. I paid a wonderful TikToker a couple of years ago to come to Violet's birthday party because that's all she wanted. It's like a clown. It's like the modern day clown. Please, will you have this British TikToker come to my birthday party? This is a talented young lady. She's a great dancer. Uh, not so, I don't want to say hoochie as the others, but you know, a little bit more tame. She's got dogs on her TikTok, beautiful singing voice, nice family. But what? reaching out to these TikTokers. I mean, I genuinely had to send an email to a child, like, how much is it going to cost me for you to come dance in my kitchen? Oy. It's times like these I really love being a woman. If I were a man sending that email, I'd be speaking to you now from prison. There are certain privileges to being a woman, and I exploit them. Back when Violet went to the primary school in Crouch End, I would walk over there in a dressing gown because... I didn't work this hard to put denim on in the daytime. We all know what that's like now. I've been in lockdown attire pretty much the last five years. If I'm not getting paid, I'm not putting pants on. I'm like the opposite of an escort. I'd go down to the school. If I missed my daughter, I'd bring the dogs and I'd bring a bag of apples. Maybe I had just recently popped into the waitress and I could go to the fence of the primary school and all the little kids would come over because I had these cute puppies. And I'd be like, hey, Amanda. And I'd get to speak to the kids through the fence. I had great rapport with most of them. Not my enemies, of course, but, you know, the kids that I liked. I'd pass apples over the fence. If I was a 60-year-old man with a van full of puppies and a bag of apples, wearing a dressing gown, talking to kids, that would be the end. My daughter's at the age where she asks a lot of open-ended questions. She asks how a lot. When she was a little girl, she would ask why? Why does the dog have eyes? And now the questioning has evolved into how angry was she? I don't know. Angry. She'll say, if I punched myself in the face and didn't cry, would that make me weak or strong? What kind of question is that? It would make you a fucking idiot. I looked outside. Bobby takes a great investment in the lawn. And I said, hmm. Bobby will be pleased. The lawn looks green. It's raining today. And she said, how green? And now all of a sudden I have to become a poet. How green? Uh, As green as a leprechaun eating peas in a lush forest, Violet. As green as a seasick woman in an emerald dress on the Titanic. I don't know how, how fucking, it's green. Two days ago I ate horse shit and I didn't mean to do it. Um, I'm starting to get a reputation. I have eaten fox shit before. When I ate the fox, well, that's not what happened. I have very tiny dogs. They're very clean. They're so small. If you've seen my dogs on Instagram, anyone with small dogs know, they photograph larger. It's just like Hollywood. They always look bigger on Instagram than they actually are. In reality, they're like two pounds. They fit in your hand. They're really small. And I kiss them right on the little black lips. I love kissing a dog's lips. These are not the big kind of slobbery dogs who will lick all over your face. They just sit there with their still lips, and they let you kiss them, and it's just the loveliest thing. I love their breath. I love the way they smell. So no one's, like, Frenching. I just peck the dogs right on the mouth. Love doing that. Love the dogs. I kissed Manny on the mouth. He's my favorite one. He's the gray Yorkshire Terrier, teacup Yorkshire Terrier. Kissed him on the mouth, and I thought, oh, what? Ooh, that's a little foxy. You know the foxy smell. It's kind of like a skunk. There's like a wild, gamey smell. How foxy was it? It was just foxy. And then I had the weirdest gastroenterological. I don't know what was happening. I did not have anything happening below the belly button. I'm trying to say this delicately. Nothing like that was happening. There were no like bathroom involvement. Issues like if you have food poisoning. That was not what I was experiencing. I experienced like an upper respiratory, almost upper esophageal nausea and pain, like something was trapped up up high in my stomach. I visited the doctor, I mentioned the kiss that I shared with the Yorkshire Terrier and the foxy taste, and the doctor said, Well, yeah, you probably have a parasite as you have basically rimmed a fox. What? Manny goes out, he sniffs around. In our garden, there's certainly dog, wee, but there's also fox, excrement, bird, whatever. He gets into that. He's been known to roll on it. I don't know. Maybe he licked some, got some on his lips. I kissed the dog. See, this is how zoonotic diseases and pathogens mutate and they get passed from species to species. We're basically living in a Wuhan wet market out in the backyard. We don't have any bats. Oh my God, we do have bats. There are bats. I gotta change my lifestyle. But on this occasion, it was fox to dog to me. I basically rimmed a fox. And then I was sick and I just had to wait it out. I took some antibiotics, but it was just a waiting game. <sighs> and that was bad. I thought I had learned my lesson. I'd still kiss the dogs, but now if they taste foxy, I put alcohol. Actually I'm gonna have another sip of vodka just in case. I make sure to wipe my lips right away with sterilized, you know, 90% alcohol. And then I wash with mouthwash. And I haven't had any fox problems since. However, the other day I was over at the stable. We've turned all the horses out for lockdown. But we can still go visit the ponies and check that they're alive. We just walk over to the field. The weather was nice. It was a really warm day. I'd been on a long walk. I was thirsty. I picked up the hose that we normally use. You know, to rinse out the wheelbarrow and wash the horse's hooves with and everything. Yeah, I drank from the horse hose. And yes, it happened to be covered in horse shit. I realized that a little bit too late. But the good news is, foxes are omnivores. They are more likely to have poisonous excrement. Horses are vegetarians and it's basically just mulched grass that I drank. And I am feeling fine. There were no side effects from drinking a little bit of contaminated horse shit water. And I am so happy about that. So if you're really thirsty at the stable and you can be pretty much sure that the horse hasn't recently been wormed or there are other animals around, you can can drink a little bit of horse poop water. Go ahead. My takeaway, not that bad. I'm going to go straight to the letters today because last week I requested some letters that weren't so sad after the pregnancy loss episode. Oh my gosh. Just absolute weight of the world hearing all these women's stories. And it makes me so glad that I made the episode because that's exactly what I wanted to do. i said, I can't feel this terrible loss and not have any good come from it. I need to make that meaningful in the best way that I can. And I really feel a lot of peace from that. A lot of you have opened up about your stories. They are way worse than mine, most of them. Sorry about that. It's painful to hear them. And that's why I'm not going to share any of them. But keep writing them to me because I can take it. I'm strong. I can listen to all those stories. It's absolutely no skin off my minge. But I asked for some variance in the emails and this week I got it. Catherine, I really love listening to your podcast. Thank you. Blah, blah, blah. The one where you mentioned being burgled at home and the intuition. This right here. The one that you went out to measure your fence and saw your dog go out. Here is proof that intuition exists. It was 3am and my dad's car alarm started going off. I am usually a deep sleeper. However, This awoke me. His alarm never goes off on his car, but something told me to go and wake him to turn it off rather than me drag my lazy arse down the stairs to do it myself. This person is British because they say arse. While my dad was awake and turning off his car alarm, he had a double brain hemorrhage and a stroke. (gasps) He survived, thank goodness, luckily, as we were able to get to the ambulance straight away. However, they said if he would have stayed asleep, he would have still had the bleed that night and died in his sleep, or he would have had it while driving to work the next day, thus maybe crashing his car. There you have it, proof that intuition exists. People, intuition is so powerful, and we spend such little time on it. And By the way, this is not considered scientific proof. They would put this in the realm of coincidence. Not me, though. I'm not going to say your name, Anonymous, but not me. I believe in this feeling. Uh, My mom used to be obsessed with this book called The Gift of Fear and how if you feel afraid, you should usually run. I think, I mean, that's the synopsis of the book. I didn't read it, but intuition is real. Whales are somehow able to think as a group. I remember reading about whales that, oh, this will make some people sad. Okay, if you don't want to hear about whale hunting, just skip a minute. Jen. I was reading that when hunters come to get the baby whales to take them to SeaWorld or wherever, and finally this is being banned almost everywhere, so this won't happen much longer, but when the whale hunters come, they want to take a baby because it's easier to transport, easier to raise it in the facility. So they come for the babies, and when they come, the boy whales, the like men, They go to the surface and they splash around to distract the hunters. Like they understand what's happening. And the mums and all the babies swim low and they swim the other way. They're like organized. All these whales organize as a community just through, you know, some talking but a lot of intuition. And then eventually the whales have to come to the surface anyway. If they're able to get the one-year-old and they take it. There was a fisherman who was telling his story. He said every whale all the moms, all the remaining babies, all the dads, because they know that they're only there for one. They come to the surface and they just wait. I mean, wail. They make all this noise and they they follow the boat and they, they don't like to let the baby go and they're just really smart. And I think I'm no animal specialist, but I've not yet eaten whale shit. Those things have been around, how long? Thousands of years. If we were smart enough to do a little mixture of Eastern medicine, Western science, um indigenous, like ancient peoples, intuitive, all that stuff would be a lot smarter. So I'm so glad anonymous that your dad lived. I hope you keep following it. You seem like a very intuitive individual. It was not his time to go. Was it next? I will paraphrase this one cause it's quite long and it is about miscarriage. So a little trigger warning, but I won't go too much into that bit. Um, this wonderful woman has been trying for seven years and has been through five miscarriages. The last one was a bit horrific it happened during the junior doctor's strike. And similarly to you, I have just been casually functioning full-time oh, for two weeks. And then once the strike was over, I was admitted to the hospital for an operation. And so now they've decided not to try for a baby anymore and get the biggest dog possible. And I'm proud to say that our Great Dane is a spoiled dog, it brings us so much joy and happiness. Well, I'm so glad to hear that. It's very mysterious, the plan that the universe has for us versus the plan that we had mapped out for ourselves. We don't always understand why things happen, but I do admire your ability to accept the challenges that you've been through and be flexible and be creative about finding a different path. One of our family friends is actually expecting a baby who will have Down syndrome, and she posted a beautiful article about, um, we're going to Italy, and I forget the quote, but it was this metaphor about, um, we had our bags packed, we... Thought we were going to Italy. We were so excited to see the, you know, uh, Italian things. You know, the Rome and the Leaning Tower and all these things. And then, at the last minute, we found out our tickets got changed, and we weren't going to Italy. But we had made all these plans. We really wanted to go to Italy. And what are we going to do? We don't have the right clothing packed for Norway. And we we weren't expect. We never wanted to go to Norway. Was happening, but we're going to Norway now, and it will be an adventure. I'm paraphrasing again, but it was a really beautiful way of going, well, yep, this is the new path that we're going and we'll be ready for it. And it is an adventure. and We'll have a wonderful time in Norway and we were meant to go to Norway. So her question is, I also wish I didn't get so nervous about being asked about having children or planning to have children during work interviews i'm freelance i tend to change projects every two years and i'm attending a number of interviews every so often the main reason i'm getting nervous before my interviews is the thought of being asked this dreadful question to this day i really don't know what is the best way to answer it without making it awkward for everyone in the room i still want to come across as professional strong and independent any suggestions first of all that question in an interview is illegal as far as i understand I think sometimes your body language and just the way that you answer a question in your eye contact says a lot. Are you planning on having a family? I would look that person dead in the eyes and say no. Neh oh full sentence. If they persist, oh well you're young and you know you're such a great mom to the great Dane and what? then I would just give it to them. Pow, I would say, Well, after having five miscarriages in seven years we've decided not to pursue that any longer because it's so traumatic. Do you know what? Because it could be awkward and it could be painful in the room, but you might feel a sense of purpose having eliminated that experience for the next woman who walks into a job interview because I guarantee that future employer is not asking that question again after your response. A man with children is more responsible, you know, he's got this family. He he's dependable, he can be counted on. He should be taken seriously. He needs this income for his family. Whereas I'm sorry, I know people will disagree with me. Guess what? I don't give a fuck. I'm right. Women walk in and we're kind of a liability because oh well, what if what if little Maisie gets a toothache? She'll be out of here doing the school run. Ugh. Fuck you. Please answer the question as honestly as you feel comfortable answering it. You don't owe anybody an answer. No is a full sentence. That's my main advice. Here's another email. Good afternoon, Catherine. I hope you're having a fab day so far. I am. I'm 22 years old. Oh, how nice for you. And this past summer, my older sister, who's 25, got very upset with me on a trip. She was very drunk. She was being unsafe. I was trying to get her back to our campsite. Now you know it's a camping trip. I understand that her need for control was challenged and listening to her younger sister was not an option in the state she was in. Anyways, she was so upset with me, she slept with my male best friend to get back at me that night. I found them in his tent that night after going out and looking for her for hours. Why does her sleeping with him upset me so much? No, I genuinely don't have feelings for my male best friend. I'm not attracted to him. He's genuinely like a brother to me. I love them both, but in retrospect, my male friend was never really a great friend to me. What the shit? I really don't know. Also, my male best friend has slept with my two female friends, and a lot of drama has already come from that, which I had to deal with, and so my sister was just off limits. My sister and I have been to counseling. We can actually have fun together. I can be around her without wanting to throw up. My male friend messaged me for my birthday saying he really wants to talk things out. I want to be over it, and I want to move on so bad. You've just said it yourself. You've answered your own question. You want to be over it. You want to move on. He's not been a good friend to you. You're 22 years old. You are a Taylor Swift song. I don't have the full story. I haven't spoken to your sister or those male BFF. But let me tell you, 22-year-old men are unfinished. Unfinished. He is not done growing. He is a small tulip bulb in the garden of life. You can find so many other friends. You will never have your sister again. And that is the relationship worth salvaging. I personally don't think she slept with him to get back at you. This male friend sounds like a really bad seed. He's not making you a priority. He's doing things that he knows hurts your feelings. It's so clear to me. You do have feelings for him. You want to deny those feelings because you know that he's toxic. But if you didn't have feelings for him, you wouldn't care what he did with his genitals. And I just need you to move on from him. I don't think he's a terrible person, but this is a toxic friendship. Rebuild what you've got with your sister and stop messing around in what she does with her sexual life. Because you and I both know that if she slept with someone you didn't fancy, you wouldn't care. Thanks for writing me a letter today. Oh, here's a lovely one about romance. Just wanted to say I loved the romance and lockdown episode. My husband was my boyfriend in infant school. Infant? Like infant? Oh yeah, age four to 12. At five, we got caught in the Wendy house with me bent over his knee and him lifting up my skirt and spanking me. Cool. Our moms were called into school wondering where he learned it from. Knowing his mom better now, that part is explained. Ooh, I love the little sideswipe at the mother-in-law. I remember leaving junior school. We'd already broken up as he kissed a girl in virgin megastores. Doesn't sound like she belonged in there. Thought I n- never would see him again. I bawled my eyes out. My diary at the time is terrifying. I dreamt about him for years, apart from one snog at a school disco when we were 15 and our schools mingled. We kissed to Titanic, my heart will go on, but he refused to let me play it at our wedding. Suddenly, age 30, I went back to my parents for Christmas. I was on Tinder, having been single for seven years. I was lazy, so my radius was set to one mile. Who should pop up? The ex. Do you remember me? He said. Yes. Not many boys have pulled my knickers down in front of the whole class. Has your treatment of women improved? He says yes. Or I would probably be in prison. I mean, what flirtation is this? This is exactly why I was never on Tinder. Anyway, that was that. I moved in, we got a dog, we bought a house, we got married within two years. Like yourself, we didn't have a big wedding. We went off to Mauritius, just us. The wedding planner and hotel DJ were. Our witnesses. perfect. I'm not sure why I've told you this story other than it's nice. Cool. Isn't it funny when you travel the whole world, you move away, you do this, you do that, and you just pop on Tinder one day when you're visiting mom, and you end up marrying the boy from one mile away who spanked you in a Wendy house when you were five? I wept myself in front of my boyfriend when I was five. I had to wean my pants because my parents sent me to a French school, apropos of absolutely nothing. See, I've learned some. They just sent me there, like, just to ruin my life. My parents didn't speak French. They just decided, oh, this four-year-old, she's got it too easy in life. Let's send her full-time to a building where no one will speak English to her. And I remember walking in the school that day and thinking, Sacré bleu! what is going on? What is everyone talking about? I had no idea. I thought that my house was English and then the whole rest of the world must speak this crazy language. I learned it quickly, but not quickly enough. I didn't know how to ask to go to the toilet. I was four years old. I really needed a wee. And I went to the teacher. I mean, surely this is how tough life was back in the nineties. You go to the teacher and you go, hi, do you mind if I go to the bathroom? And the teacher's like, ah, en français, Catherine. Well, guess what? I just got here, and I don't speak French. So either I piss myself by the sand pit, or you go. Ha, yes, let's take you for a week. And by the way, let me tell you how to say that in French. But that is the only way to teach a language: is full immersion. We probably had twenty minutes of English a week from this one man. What was his name? Monsieur Larouche. Monsieur Larouche couldn't speak English himself. I remember coming from an English home, being like, how is this guy in charge of teaching us? He was like, dog, et on the Et puis, uh, it's a miracle I can speak English. But then what my parents did not foresee is they sent my little sisters to the French school as well. Bingo, bango. We get to be teenagers. We have a secret language. We can make plans to steal their vodka straight in front of them. And they were just like, oh, isn't it adorable, Julie? The girls are speaking French. That's an Irish accent that I can do
0: PlushCare Care is a leading telehealth provider with doctors who are there for you day and night to partner with you in your weight loss journey. They can prescribe FDA-approved weight loss medications like Wagovi and Zepbound for those who qualify. Plus, they accept most insurance plans. To get started, visit plushcare.com slash weight loss. That's plushcare.com slash weight
1: loss. Do you know what? This might be a really good time to talk about potty training because people ask me, again and again, how I managed to potty train my daughter by 10 months. I have people email their children are two and three and they say, well, I I haven't potty trained my child yet. How did you do it by 10 months? Well, guess what? Age two, age three, you're too late. This is a wild concept for Western people to fathom. But please trust me, when you put a nappy on a baby, you are training them. An absence of training is still training. So the baby grows up, and sure, when you're really small, you can't feel when you need to go to the toilet. When you can't speak, you can't verbally ask if you need to, the to go to the toilet. So I understand. But please don't think for a second that they're not being trained. So they think that's normal. When I have to pee, I go in my nappy. Fine. They live their lives. All of a sudden, you decide as parents, and it's not your fault. This is what Western culture teaches us to do. Oh, he's 18 months. She's two years old. Now I'm going to potty train. Well, now. The child has already been trained one thing and you've chosen the time in their mental development when they are so headstrong and they'll fight you on it. They'll be like, sorry, no, I've actually already learned how to go to the toilet and it's in my nappy and I'm going to go hide behind the couch and take a shit now because you're trying to change my vibe. I'm getting a sense of self. I know who I am. I know I like good luck. So I'm afraid that if you want to do it my way and you don't have to, but if you want to, it's way too late by 18 months. The way I did it was, I did not have a regular job. I worked in an office, but I went on maternity leave when Violet was born. And I decided that because daycare cost more than what I was earning in the office, that I would never go back. I looked at Violet, I looked at my lifestyle, and I was like, Ugh, I have to make this work on my own. The best way to do that is to work harder than I have been at stand up comedy and try to be a stand up comedian because then I can work at night, I can be with my daughter all day. So I had the great privilege of being home with my daughter all day. And then when I went to festivals or I went to stand-up gigs, I brought my daughter all those places. So we were simpatico. We were together all the time. And around when did I first give her solid food? I think you're not supposed to do it till six months, but around four months I started giving Violet bananas and milk. And for the first time when they have solid food, you can tell by the look on their face, or you get to know their schedule, if they need to go to the toilet have already talked about shit way too much in this episode. All right. And if you don't have kids, you can be like a smug prick who delivers this information to your nieces and nephews, your sisters, your friends, because do you know what? It is a public service. I am around children who are four and five years old eating McDonald's and shitting in nappies, and I don't deserve to live that way. If you have a neurotypical child of that age of development, if you haven't trained them to go in the toilet... I don't wanna be in a public space with you. That's not what society is to me. If you have a neurodynamic child and they have separate challenges, fine, I'm not talking about you, so keep your pants on. I could tell by the look in her face that she needed to go to the toilet and I just thought to myself, because I had nothing better to do, I didn't even have a phone back then, I just thought, I think it would be quite difficult going in a nappy, I wouldn't like that. So I took her nappy off, and I just held her over the little potty that I had after she went to the toilet, which might have been an accident, but it happened. I was like, oh, cool. Good for you. Praise, praise, praise left the nappy off for a while. So she's has like some reward of discomfort. No nappy. Get her used to that feeling. I was still bored. I decided to teach Violet Sign Language when she was about six months old. She started signing back when she was maybe eight months old, seven months old. There are people who say, well, if you teach them sign language, they'll never speak. That is as crazy as if you said well if they crawl they'll never walk of course they'll walk crawling is a step to walking for a lot of babies just like signing is a step to speaking for a lot of babies because it teaches them power over their own communication it teaches them that they can ask for what they want and have a dialogue and have autonomy over their own lifestyle according to me anyway that's what I thought If you sign without speaking, sure, they might be delayed in their speech, but you always speak and sign. Signs that babies really like are different animals, different foods, apple, cheese, cracker. Those are good ones. Hot, cold, really important to teach them. If they go to grab for something, you say, no, no, that's hot. And you sign hot. Inside, outside, help, park, mommy, daddy, grandma, grandpa, eat. They like, oh, milk is funny. We were in a grocery store. And Violet was nine months old and she saw a woman with like huge fake boobs. It wasn't me. It was a different woman. And she looked at me, rolled her eyes and did the sign for milk. How we laughed. So Violet had banter from nine months because I empowered her with sign language. And another one of those signs. Oh, careful. Careful. It's just the letter C on your eyebrow and you like jut it out. You put the letter C over your eye and go outwards. Careful. That was useful that is still useful today when violet is acres away from me in a park and she's doing something with the pony i don't have to shout we're not a loud family and i just sign careful on my eye and she signs me careful but it's just a way of being like Eat. so useful careful and another one is potty Potty's kind of hard to sign because it's your middle finger on your shoulder so i would sign change your nappy which is like bouncing your wrists kind of so we just you can make up any sign in the house it doesn't have to be like british sign language any sign that's meaningful to you you can just sign it tired is another good one Stop some crying they'll just be like yo i'm tired put them to bed so when i put her on the potty i would mix that with the sign language if she went to the potty now I would sign potty, potty. Good job, potty. Leave her nappy off. So she clicked really quickly that as soon as she could sign me back, she could start asking for the potty. And she did because she was never trained to go in her pants. We totally skipped that step. So by the time she was 10 months, it just naturally, I don't know how, it just taught her more control over the toilet. She didn't ever need a nappy at night. She would start asking to pee on the potty. She would start Asking to go to the potty all the time. And if she didn't ask, and I had the luxury of being home with her, after she would eat or after like a little while, I would just stick her on the potty and read her a book or something. It really does take a lot of hands on parenting. And I totally understand that most of us, I mean, not right now, now is the perfect time to potty train your infant or to start. But you can always instruct the nanny or your mom or whoever's looking after the baby when you're at work to do that stuff. And a lot of them will think you're crazy and they won't comply. Well, guess what? Fire them because you'll be doing the nursery school workers a great service. This does work. Please try it. Please do it. Because not only does it give your child the benefit of autonomy, like no stranger was ever changing Violet's nappy when she was little. I hated that idea, like to send her somewhere and have the like indignity of her laying on her back being like, okay, change my nappy. Like she was just not... I could tell by her personality, she wouldn't be with that. And she didn't ever have to do that. It taught her a lot about the power of her own voice, that she could ask for things she wanted, that she could be in control of something. And I never punished her if she had an accident. There were accidents, but it's just like, here's what we do. We go to the potty in the potty. And most Eastern countries do this from a way younger age than us. I think we're really messed up with like... Oh, swaddle your baby and put them away in a cold room far away from you. Do you see any other animal putting their babies in a different nest? You don't. I might ring my mom. We haven't heard from my mom yet. She speaks in a real basic instinct voice that I appreciate, especially once I tell her she's on the podcast, you know. Hello? Hello? Are you okay? Yeah, why? Oh, good, why?
0: In a meeting and
1: I thought, oh, it's Bomb, I'll answer that. You put a- the lady on hold. Oh, you're in a meeting. Okay. Well, why don't you call me back when you're out of your meeting?
0: Will you be around?
1: I will. I'm around. I'm on lockdown.
0: Okay. All right. Bye. Oh, thanks.
1: Bye. I'm a bad daughter. Let's get to another letter while we can. Hi, Catherine. I love the first four episodes of your podcast. Thanks just a quick note to suggest that perhaps in one of your episodes, you could speak about your opinions around body image. In particular, I'd be really interested to hear about how you've approached the subject with your daughter, Violet. I remember reading in Sarah Pascoe's book, that's human Sarah Pascoe, the comedian and the author of the superstar, not the cat, that you are careful not to put yourself down in front of Violet, i.e. looking in the mirror and saying, Oh, I look fat today. I really loved that idea. Hmm. Thanks, Samantha. I can say your name because you didn't disclose any personal information like so many of my other people. And by the way, I love spilling the tea. So send me as much personal information as you can and I'll always hide your name. No, I don't put myself down in front of Violet or in front of anyone. Why? Because I'm 10 out of 10 slice. Beautiful. I have a really positive body image, I guess because I think I watched my mom struggle with eating disorders. I don't know if she would define them as eating disorders. Back then, I think all of our mothers had eating disorders. Her mother would tie a string around her waist as tight as she could and be like, there you go. That'll help you hold your tummy in all day. From the time my mom was like 12, my mom was always offered money to lose weight. And I mean, you want to see a picture of my mom. I think my mom probably weighs 100 pounds now, which is eight stone. And when she was growing up, she weighed about five or six stone, but she's short. So, I mean, she wasn't hospitalized, but she definitely, I never really saw my mom eat. And that was just what it took to be a sexy lady in the 80s, I guess. I blame Farrah Fawcett. I was never one of the really beautiful girls. My mom had the curse of growing up one of the most beautiful women in the world. And that sucks. I mean, my heart goes out to people like that because I was weird looking. I had weird teeth, a giant Irish head, just Kind of ginger. I just, my personality was the ugliest thing because it really made me stand out. I wasn't the type of girl who was easy to have around. And for some reason, I was able to look at all the outside influences and instead of emulating them, I said to myself, well, my mom doesn't seem very happy here in a small town married to a man she doesn't like, like picking at lettuce. I don't want to do that. Oh my grandma doesn't really seem that happy doing what she's doing. Oh, well, this seems like bullshit. And that seems like bullshit. So somehow I was just able to be like, yeah, I'm weird. And instead of throwing all my tools away, I'm going to use that to my advantage. It took me a very long time. I certainly had skin colored hair and hair colored skin for a number of years. I was thin, I guess, just because I was young, not because I was ever on any diet. And then I worked at Hooters and I did cheerleading because I thought the best thing that I could be was pretty. I wanted to fit in, but that didn't last very long. I learned pretty early I could definitely excel in other areas if I poured my energy into those areas. I liked having my theater friends. I liked meeting other comedians and hanging out with them. And so I value, you know sparkly outfits and fun makeup and fun hair. I think that can be fun, but I definitely understand that it has an expiration date and it isn't the be all and end all of life. The other benefit to what I do is that I have met so many quote unquote pretty girls, whether that be at celebrity parties or working in television or even when I was younger, I would do jobs here and there at Much Music, which is like the Canadian MTV before MTV, And I met a few celebrities there, and I looked at them up close, and I just said, well, yeah, like, you're a beautiful girl. But I knew early in my life that everything projected on television was pretty much fake, that they all had hair and makeup. I met Jessica Simpson when I was 20 years old, and she was amazing. She was really beautiful. But face to face, I just saw, oh, what I see of you on TV is definitely heightened Without your makeup in a ball cap, you're just like a really nice girl from Texas. Like a lot of my other girlfriends, you know, we could blend in when we go out. And I just thought, oh, you know what? I like being me. I just became okay with me early on. If you look at our society's archetype for beauty, it is a child. She's always innocent. She's always got big eyes and a symmetrical little face. She's always small. It's not my responsibility to make a man feel big by being smaller and ultimately less physically powerful than he is. And that's why if I feel like eating cream cheese one morning on a lock key and then drinking vodka in the afternoon, you better believe I'm doing it. I didn't work this hard to starve myself. And that is the key to it all. If you look at a celebrity like Ariana Grande, a very talented, wonderful girl, but the way that she is designed to look in her videos and her just general presentation tell me that's not an 11 year old in a wig it's really sick the way we elevate the tiniest most like sweetest women that we can and i've said this from the start that larger women are punished because they make men feel small it's like not desirable because of this weird structure that we've created. And I just don't subscribe to it. Women are guilty of doing it to each other too. Talking about dieting and being small, but it all goes back to being smaller in every way. Don't take up space with your voice. Don't take up space with your presence. Don't take up any physical space. Just tuck yourself away and be as quiet and as young and as little as you can and I, I'm i not going to raise my daughter that way. I think that Violet's involved in a lot of athletics. Violet runs around. I teach Violet that she has to eat a lot of vegetables so she gets lots of vitamins. And as long as she does that, then she can have anything she wants. She can have ice cream one day. She can do this. She can do that. I'm not weird about food in the house. I have a more like inclusive approach to diet rather than exclusive. If I haven't seen you eat a vegetable all day, then no, you can't have the chili heatwave Doritos, you have to have vitamins to make you strong and to make you powerful. It's not, oh, you have to leave sweets out of your diet so that you can stay small and be weak. It's like, I just totally flip it like that. And it seems to be working so far. I mean, who knows? We're all doing the best we can. Well, this has been the longest telling everybody everything. There are so many emails that I wanted to get to, but I also like to keep the episodes under 30 minutes because even in lockdown, we're all busy. We've got things to do. I hope you enjoyed it. If you want, you know, I'll come to the letters now and then. Every couple of weeks, telling everybody everything at gmail.com. You can tell me anything you like. Thanks so much for listening. I hope you're keeping safe. we will see you soon.